Thank you for listening to Radio Maria England. We now present the sacraments. Welcome to this third talk for Radio Maria England on the sacraments. I am Sister Tamsin Mary Keach, part of a community of Dominican sisters in Cambridge. This talk is part three of a nine-part series, and today we will be speaking about the Sacrament of Confirmation. Now, as is appropriate when speaking on this sacrament, let us begin with a prayer to the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who has taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that, by the gift of the same Spirit, we may be always truly wise, and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, if you look up confirmation on Google, you read this. The rite at which a baptised person, especially one baptised as an infant, affirms Christian belief and is admitted as a full member of the Church. This is inaccurate in almost every particular. You do have to be baptised to be confirmed, but although renewing your baptismal promises forms part of the ceremonies surrounding confirmation, the sacrament itself can be given without this happening. For example, a dying infant should be confirmed. And further, you became a full member of the Catholic Church when you were baptised. Nor indeed is it the sacrament at which you receive the Holy Spirit. That also happened when you were baptised. So now that we have established firmly what confirmation is not, what is it and what is it for? Along with baptism and the Eucharist, the sacrament of confirmation constitutes one of the sacraments of Christian initiation, that is, beginning sacraments. In a way, these three sacraments, which bring one into the body of the Church, are together a unity. If you want the grace that came in baptism to be fulfilled in you, you need to be confirmed. In order to live out the Christian life in which you were planted at baptism and strengthened in confirmation, you need the nourishment of the Holy Eucharist, the body, blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1290, in the first centuries, confirmation generally comprised one single celebration with baptism, forming with it a double sacrament according to the expression of St. Cyprian. In the West, this unity was divided because of the desire to reserve the completion of baptism to the bishop. In the Eastern Catholic Churches, they've kept them united so that confirmation is conferred by the priest who baptises. But he can only do so with the miron, a chrism, consecrated by a bishop. This practice is also kept in the West for adult converts, especially those received at the Easter Vigil. If one looks at the two sacraments, there is an implicit unity in their celebration. The newly baptised infant is anointed with chrism, and when confirmation is separated from baptism, its connection with baptism is expressed, among other things, by the renewal of baptismal promises. Further, 
The celebration of confirmation during the Eucharist helps underline the unity of the sacraments of Christian union with creation. So what does confirmation do for us? St. Thomas Aquinas sees this sacrament as corresponding to growth in physical terms. Thus, while in baptism we receive spiritual life, which is spiritual regeneration, in confirmation we arrive at the perfect age, as it were, of the spiritual life. Quoting Pope Melchiades, Aquinas says, The Holy Ghost, who comes down on the waters of baptism, bearing salvation in his flight, bestows on the font, bestows at the font the fullness of innocence, but in confirmation he confers an increase of grace. In baptism we are born again unto life. After baptism we are strengthened. By it we are conformed to Christ and have bestowed on us the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So in a certain sense, confirmation is the sacrament of Christian maturity. Though in both the Catechism and St Thomas we find a certain caution about being over-doctrinaire about this. Although in the Latin Church, custom has indicated that the age of discretion is the time for confirmation, yet this should not exclude infants who are in danger of death or people who are mentally handicapped, since every baptised person not yet confirmed can and should receive the sacrament. Further, Christian maturity is not strictly aligned with physical maturity. Adult faith was shown by the children who are yet a few years since when challenged by Isis to renounce their faith, said, We love Yeshua, we love Jesus, and were executed. St Thomas reminds us of this. Age of body does not determine age of soul. Even in childhood, man can attain spiritual maturity. Confirmation is one of three sacraments which confer a character a spiritual power ordained to certain sacred actions, a spiritual mark or indelible character on the, spirit, on the Christian soul, the other two being baptism and holy order being made a priest. This seal is the personal mark of ownership conferred by the Holy Spirit. Now there are a whole host of religious words, such as hope, faith, charity, which means something slightly different, when used in a religious context. They've lost their original meaning. And character is one of them. In modern English, character refers to an attribute of personality, or occasionally of a thing. We might talk of a wine of great character, for example, or a person with a good character. From this last sort of expression, it also has come to mean reputation. Then we have characters in plays or books. And finally, we have the meaning of a letter or symbol. We might talk of Chinese characters to refer to the Chinese way of writing. Now, oddly enough, it is this last meaning that comes closest to expressing what is meant by saying that the sacrament of confirmation, like priesthood or baptism, confers a character. The word comes from a Greek word, Character, which means a stamping tool, a, store, a, a tool for branding someone. Slaves or men in a regiment would be stamped or branded with a character 
which would show they belonged to a particular household or reg regiment. Thus we read in John 6.27 that God the Father has set his seal on Jesus himself, and the word in the Greek is character. The Catechism continues on this subject. Christians are also marked with a seal. It is God who establishes us in Christ and has commissioned us. He has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This seal of the Holy Spirit marks our total belonging to Christ, our enrolment in his service forever, as well as the promise of divine protection in the great eschatological trial. So we are stamped with the seal of the Holy Spirit, so as to be recognisable as one of the soldiers of Christ. This is the significance of the marking of the cross on the forehead. First, as a sign that one may show publicly that one is a Christian, and next so that neither fear nor shame may hinder us from confessing the name of Christ. Hitherto we were members of the church in baptism, but now we are brought to the bishop as to the commander of the army by one who is already enrolled as a Christian soul, soldier. And that is our um, patron, our patron, not patron, what's the word? Oh gosh. It'll come to me in a minute. We're sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. This type of militaristic imagery has been played down in modern Christendom in the West. But perhaps the time has come again for a bolder type of Christianity, one that is ready to give witness by courageous outspokenness or even suffering and martyrdom. The word I was looking for was sponsor. A sponsor is the person who brings us to the bishop, like as to the commander of the army. The Catechism continues, This character perfects the common priesthood of the faithful received in baptism. By baptism we were made members of the church, part of the mystical body of Christ, empowered to do those things which pertain to our own salvation. By confirmation we are given a further spiritual power, the power to engage in spiritual warfare to confess Christ's name, and like the apostles at Pentecost, to move on from praying privately in church to the public witness and confession of our faith. Thus the character of confirmation distinguishes those who are grown up spiritually and the infants in Christ. A confirmed person, that is, receives the power of publicly expressing their faith by words, as it were, ex officio. That's to say you can do it before, but now it's your job. When a bishop confers the sacrament of confirmation, there are three actions he performs. First of all, he holds his hands over the heads of those to be confirmed and prays for an outpouring of the Spirit. He then lays his hands on the head of each person to be confirmed individually, and anoints them on the forehead with the oil of chrism, saying, John or Jane or whatever you happen to have chosen, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he concludes with, peace be with you. Thus it's evident for its, from its celebration that the effect of the sacrament of confirmation is a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as it was once granted to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Confirmation makes us more able to understand our divine filiation. Well, that's an interesting word. It means sonship, daughtership, 
it means that we are truly in Christ, the Son of God. Now, we can say in small letters, sons and daughters of God, but actually the adoption is because of the deep unity we have with Christ. At baptism, we truly become part of Christ himself. And at confirmation, this deep unity, the gift of it, is deepened and strengthened through the Holy Spirit. And so each of one of us, in a certain sense, is the Son, with capital letters, in the sense that we're part of his body, able to call him, or able with him to call God Abba, Father, and thus be more fully united also with his church, enabled to spread and defend the faith by word and action as true witnesses of Christ, to confess the name of Christ boldly and never be ashamed of the cross. As I have said, confirmation in the Western Church is usually separated from baptism and the reception of Holy Communion by several years. All three, strictly speaking, form a unity, but the separation came about from the fact that generally the sacrament of confirmation is conferred by a bishop. And with the practice of separation, a corresponding anthropology has grown up to explain it. So, as baptism has always been likened to birth, and the Eucharist to sustenance, so confirmation is seen as the sacrament of spiritual maturity. This is right as far as it goes, but it is important not to take it too far. A young person being confirmed is required to make a declaration that they reject Satan and all his works and all his vain pomps, and to declare belief as an adult in in the Church, in God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, But this, it is not this that makes the sacrament, any more than the parents and godparents making those same promises on the child's behalf at baptism, is what constitutes the sacrament of baptism. These surrounding ceremonies are an important sign of who is being baptised or confirmed. A believer who has turned away from evil and embraced belief in the true God. But both baptism and confirmation are sacraments. And a sacrament is a sign not of something we do for God, but of something God does for us. If you've just joined us, welcome to Radio Maria. I'm Sister Tansy Mary Geach, and this is a presentation in the series on the sacraments. Today's topic is the Sacrament of Confirmation. So what does the Sacrament of Confirmation quotes-unquote, do for us? What is its effect in our lives? Now, every now and then it will happen that someone will ask, are you a Christian? And this question is more complicated than it seems, because it has various levels of meaning. The person asking may mean, as opposed to being Catholic, if they have the false opinion that Catholics are not Christians. Or they may mean, are you a believer in Christ? Or, yet again, they may mean, do you behave in conformity with the things that Christ did and taught? What they are less likely to mean is what in fact constitutes you as part of the body of Christ. Are you baptised? And what they are least of all likely to mean, but this is the origin of the word Christian, is have you been anointed with the oil of chrism? That's to say, the name Christ means the anointed one. And we are Christ's, we are Messiah's, 
That's the word in, in Hebrew, Messiah is the word for Christ. And that's the word for anointed. In both Greek, chrismation is anointing. And in Hebrew, the word Mashiach means anointed one. Um, and that's how we are part of Christ in, in our being anointed with the Holy Spirit. However, the deep unity of the sacrament of confirmation with baptism does leave us with the question what it means for us to be confirmed in practical terms. What does it make us able to do? An answer that can be drawn from St. Thomas and St. Augustine is that the sacrament is to be lived out according to the Sermon on the Mount, especially the Beatitudes. So St. Thomas, following St. Augustine, relates each of the baptisms, each of the Beatitudes to one of the gifts or fruits of the Holy Spirit. So what we need is growth, and such growth comes through grace. Individual acts are not enough if there's no change of heart. We need to have our inward disposition change so that it will emerge in real action. Change, that is, to what the scholastics call our habitus. Habitus is a fixed disposition that emerges in action. We need to become people, that is, who truly live the Beatitudes. Here, I think St. Thomas Aquinas on the Beatitudes helps a lot. Seeking for happiness he sees as an inevitable human trait, though the direction of that search may lead us to different conclusions. We may seek happiness in material, physical pleasures, in active charity, or in the contemplation of God's. The real happiness for which we are made is the sight of God, and each of these other modes of happiness bears some relation to it. The Beatitudes, as it were, flesh out the gifts of the Holy Spirit. St. Thomas sees the Beatitudes as being a kind of map of the spiritual life, so that the natural virtues are assisted supernaturally by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the Beatitude, blessed are the pure, poor in spirit, is about setting our hearts on heavenly riches rather than sensual pleasures. The virtue of ten temperance relates to the gift of humility, down-to-earth realism. Blessed are the meek points to a freedom from being governed by feelings of hope, despair, foolhardiness and anger and fear. And this by the rational process, the virtue of courage and the gift of fortitude. It is fascinating that St Thomas relates the meekness to courage. Turning the other cheek, if you think about it very carefully, is a very different thing from cringing in the face of an adversary. We can also be controlled by emotions that are about seeking after things. Delight, sadness, aversion, affection and hatred. Escaping enslavement to these things, according to St Thomas, is pointed to by the Beatitude. Blessed are they that mourn. Moderation in these things is the virtue, but we may actually turn from them by a deliberate choice, and this again is the gift of fortitude. Think how full of courage a person has to be to resist a wrong relationship or a distorted desire. Sometimes, as our Lord said, this is equivalent to cutting off a hand or tearing out an eye, so difficult it seems. But it is better to enter heaven feeling a bit less than whole than to go to hell for a distorted sense of self-fulfilment. 
Some of the Beatitudes are about being disposed to do good, either whether what, either what we ought to do anyway, which is achieved by natural virtue, and sometimes going above and beyond, which comes about through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So by a virtue, justice, we do not refuse to do our duty to our neighbour, and by a gift, reverence, we do it wholly, heartily and eagerly. And this, St Thomas relates to the Beatitude, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for justice. This is the way to move from the couch-potato virtue of doing what one must, to the state of doing things out of genuine concern and love. In doing spontaneous favours, we're perfected by a virtue, liberality or generosity, and by a gift, the fear of the Lord, according to which our own needs are entirely secondary. And St Thomas sees this as being related to the Beatitude, Blessed are the merciful. Active charity, that is, is about giving what is justly owed, or, for a Christian, for the love of God going beyond what we owe, to considering not so much that, or whether we owe anything at all to this particular individual, but rather with ardent desire, through reverence to God, considering only the needs of those on whom we bestow our gratuitous generosity. That is, we don't want to look good, or to feel good, but to do right in a generous and self-forgetting way. Finally, when we've turned away from a life simply governed by emotions and fears, and have turned resolutely towards a cheerful and generous relation with our neighbours, we move into the phase of being directed towards a life lived entirely towards God, in contemplation, through which we are purified in our hearts, and brought to the kind of peace that, arising from within, causes peace in others. So a cleanness of heart, which our Lord blessed in the Beatitude, Blessed are the pure in heart, involves the virtue of faith and the gift of knowledge or understanding. But in relation to others, we're purified by a virtue of charity, by the gift of wisdom, so as to make peace, and hence, blessed are the peacemakers. This is a broad-brush description of the spiritual life, a general progress from belief through lived experience to union with God, or, in another model, from repentance to the active to the contemplative. Yet, because we are not simple or reasonable, there is a tendency for this also to be a bit cyclical. Conversion, followed by belief, followed by action, followed finally by mystical contemplation, may be the proper order, but the reality of a life lived towards God is that there are many new beginnings of belief or conversion, many recommitments to active charity, and, to help us on our way, bending to our weakness, God does not leave it to the end of a life lived perfectly to begin to reveal himself, but is himself the beginning, middle and end of the why underlying all our belief, conversion and lived experience. And in all this, the Holy Spirit poured out on us afresh at confirmation, is our advocate and protection, our friend and guide. Let us conclude this session with the magnificent prayer 
that happens in the confirmation ceremony. All-powerful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by water and the Holy Spirit, you freed your sons and daughters from sin and gave them new life. Send your Holy Spirit upon them to be their helper and guide. Give them the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of right judgment and courage, the spirit of knowledge and reverence. Fill them with the spirit of wonder and awe in your presence. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. If any of you would like to share stories or pictures of your experience with the sacraments, please do send them to info at radiomariaengland.uk. Questions are also very welcome. Thank you for joining us. I hope you join us again next week when the topic will be the Holy Eucharist.
Till perfected by the. 